Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome back, Miss Perfect. A pleasure. And do you know what? We actually get an, another Rebecca this week. You, you are one of but two Rebeccas yeah. that we will be, uh, we will be uh, entranced with this week. So there's, there's that to come. But of course, before we talk about Rebecca, which is one of the two big new releases of this week, let's talk about another one first. Something with a bit more, let's say, real world gravitas it is of course a film we have both seen let's talk about i am greta yes now this is on limited theatrical release from friday um it is it's i'm trying to think it's not greta garbo that we're talking about here no no it's not greta gerwig either thankfully (laughs) for your sanity no um but it is um greta thunberg and it is a really interesting insightful fly on the wall kind of documentary of her journey, albeit over only the last couple of years, from being the little girl who protested and went on school strike outside of Parliament in Sweden to being the international climate icon that she is now. You lied to us. You gave us false hope. You told us that the future was something to look forward to. During the last six months, I've traveled around Europe for hundreds of hours in trains, electric cars and buses, repeating these life-changing words over and over again. But no one seems to be talking about it. And nothing has changed, despite all the beautiful words and promises. The emissions are still rising. We have not taken to the streets for you to take selfies with us and tell us that you really admire what we do. We children are doing this for you to put your differences aside and start acting as you would in a crisis. We children are doing this because we want our hopes and dreams back. It's not what you'd call a cheerful film, this one, is it, Bex? Uh, no. Um, insightful, though. I think, you know, we all have a very... Um, I suppose we just have a very linear view of what Greta Gerwig... Uh, Greta Gerwig... <laughs> I have a linear view of Greta Gerwig, definitely. You do. I think the general population that only sees, like, you know, the big speeches that Greta Thunberg does or, you know, has a glimpse through the news as to what she's up to or sees her on Twitter, what Mm. it does is takes you behind the scenes um, to what I can only describe is, is reminding us at the end of the day that she is a 15, probably now 17-year-old girl. About that, I think. Yeah, about that. And that she obviously suffers from Asperger's. She that has all the vulnerabilities you expect a teenager to have, yet she has all the weight of her campaigning on on her shoulders at the same time. And that actually, not this is, doesn't spoil anything, but she very poignantly refers to that towards the end of the uh, end of the documentary. But yeah, for me, I feel like I know her. I know her critics a lot more as well. Um, I think it gives a good, well-rounded view of the phenomenon that is Greta Thunberg. Definitely. I mean, I uh, I think I I was more on the whole impressed by. It. I, uh, I first of all, I I think you can be forgiven for thinking that there is nothing inherently cinematic about the story of Greta Thunberg, and yet when you see how this plays out, this does play with all the sort of narrative arcing oh. of an actual feature film. I can absolutely see someone adapting this in like two years' time with like Caitlin Diva as you know as a, an actual sort of narrative biopic. Um, I do think it's quite a powerful sort of. Portrait of this undeniably very polarizing political 
figure. Um, she herself, I think, comes across very well. I, I started off quite cynically going into the film thinking, there's really no information that I didn't already have on her from other sources. It's one of those where, early on at least, it's one of those where if you've seen three or four other interview profile pieces on her, then you've got all this information. It's just you've got it all in one place again, you know, that old chestnut. But as it went on, it did start to unfurl new elements of her that I, I hadn't encountered before that did actually quite fascinate me. There's a lot of stuff with her her dad, who's an actor mm. named, uh, I think his name's Cervante? Yeah. Cervante Tumberg, who's definitely a character and definitely sort of, I think, the one who's sort of the enabler of, he's, he's the, the supportive parent who's always there with her. Yeah. And um, there's a, a nice element within the film where it doesn't shy away from showing us how much of a struggle he actually finds her on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Uh, for instance, as, as, you, as you said, we were discussing this before, um, she doesn't eat. She seems to have a real thing about eating. Like She's yeah. so work-driven that she never actually stops to eat. And, you know, we all have those days when you're working from home and things where you're, you're busy, you forget to have lunch. She, she just does that on the reg, evidently. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's those moments that I think add the tenderness of a parental element to this story. So you could be forgiven for thinking it's just following her crusade. But actually what I think is much more interesting is the dynamic between herself and her father and how that plays out and what point in which he sort of transitions from being the supporter and the person that's going to stand by everything that she's doing through to, and he's the most active out of the out of the parents in, mm. in terms of doing that but also then that that juxtaposition of him then becoming the one that has to essentially discipline her for her own good because at the end of the day when we're watching her on this documentary she's still a 15 year old child so absolutely uh, not only just a 15 year old child she's obviously got Asperger's that has, you know, its own limitations and and issues that get brought up as a result of that. There is a great line she comes out with, actually, at one point when she's asked, do you suffer from Asperger's? This is what people tend to say, do you suffer from Asperger's? And she brilliantly comes back with, I have Asperger's. I don't suffer from it. (laughs) To which you think, I love that. That's that's a really good little quip. Okay, fair, fair. I like that. Um, I think on the whole, it's quite impressive. I, I mean, I'd give it, I'd give it two thumbs. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by her anyway. I find her quite an intriguing figure, Uh, and I think the film does a very, uh, very, I say, powerful job of drawing a, a complete profile of her. Yeah, I think, I think in terms of your attention span, I'd sort of slightly teeter under the two thumbs mark because. I just feel there is an element cinematically that unless you are, and what, look, this is on limited release, you wouldn't go and, and watch this without the intention of wanting to learn, but it's not something that you would stumble across and maybe necessarily be kept completely entertained by. Um, I don't think you can this this next week, can you? At least not in central London. Well, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the breaking news that has come through. Mm. Um but the point is, is that if you are wanting to sit down in any way, shape and form and watch this film, it is it is to learn the backstory and behind the scenes of who this crusader is and why she's so prevalent in our society, but also to remind yourself that she, at the end of the day, is human as well. So, yeah, it's a really good film. I think it's just a couple of things that maybe niggle on me from a cinematic point of view that it just misses the mark on. But otherwise, 
very very capable and um, yeah well worth your time excellent so that's I am Greta that's uh, Nathan uh, Nathan Goodman's movie which is out uh, this was out on limited release from Friday the uh, the 16th also out on limited release from Friday the 16th but coming to Netflix next week we'll talk about that later in the show uh, is Ben Wheatley's adaptation I've been calling it Ben Wheatley's remake of Rebecca but it's not a remake of Rebecca it's officially another adaptation new adaptation of the Daphne du Maurier gothic novel. Um, and when you see the film, it, it, you suddenly realise, oh, oh, of course, because the Hitchcock adaptation does kind of loom large. You, mm-hmm. Even if you're not re- adapt- if you're not remaking Hitchcock, you can't avoid you know, the, the existence of a Hitchcock film. So this is sorry, an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's novel. It is about the, uh, the young Lady de Winter, played by uh, Lily James, who is, I think it's meant to be about 1938, I think. She marries, in, sort of impulsively marries a man that she falls in love with uh, whilst on holiday in, I think, Monte Carlo? The uh, the Lord de Winter, played by Army Army Hammer, with the stiffest British accent you've ever heard. Believe me, it'll throw you. She moves into his house, Mandalay. Last night, I dreamt of Mandalay, as the famous dialogue goes. And uh, she very quickly discovers that the uh, the ghost of uh, her husband's late wife, who died under mysterious circumstances, looms large over her life and continues to be thundered into her everyday existence by the borderline psychotic sort of house madam uh, <laughs> Mrs. Danvers, played by Kristen Scott Thomas, in what I can only say is a surprisingly restrained version of this character, like Kristen Scott Thomas doing this? I kind of expected this to go full Cruella on us. I, I wanted a Joan Crawford level performance out of this. Um, you, you don't quite get that. I mean, to be fair, everyone in it is very, very good. Right? They're all perfectly good, but they're all good actors anyway. So you've got, for instance, like Army Hammer, Lily James, Christa Scott Thomas, Keeley Hawes is in there. Sam Riley turns up because it's a film set in Britain before 1950, so contractually he's obligated to be there. You know what I mean? He's like dude Kira Knightley at this stage. Yeah. Is it, um, it's not like Kill List meets Hitchcock, is it? <laughs> it does look much more sumptuous than that. Um, I actually, I um, actually bumped into Lily James um, while she was doing press for this a few weeks ago um, down in, in Devon and um, coincidentally saw the uh, the junket that was happening and uh, then proceeded to just sit next to her in, in, in like a waiting room which was really random but um, well, apparently you get in the news this week if you're uh, if you're seen sitting next to Lily yes, James for too long yes but I, I, I don't have um, a long standing wife that's going to stand by me throughout <laughs> dead news allegations um, before I can confirm we are still together Um, images of images of me making out with younger women half my age are completely made up I'm definitely not playing my character in the affair Um, (laughs) Um, I'm really excited about this the trailer looks gorgeous it looks like that proper golden age Hollywood glamour movie that I think you know we could all sit and enjoy and as long Mm. as performances live up to it and you know I'm a massive fan of Army Hammer I think he he's a very very good actor um who who picks some really clever parts but also Lily James you know she's she's the new starlet that everyone's got their eye on and quite rightly so she can turn her hand to a lot of different things and they look believable as the couple they look like they you know that all that chemistry will work so 
yeah, did you enjoy it? Did you? I will say, I mean, I, I enjoyed it in as much as, you know, I can enjoy another version of Rebecca because, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I've seen the Hitchcock version. I think most of the human race have seen Alfred Hitchcock's seminal 1940 adaptation, which is, you know, we all tend to forget. He's only about two years after the novel was published. So it was a case of, you know, novel came out, they scooped up the rights and churned that out. And it was, I think, the most successful British film of that year. Incidentally, I, as far as I remember, Rebecca is the last time that a film won, I think, Best Picture without winning uh, Best Director, Best Writer, or Best Actor. So that is, you know, without winning any of those. Uh, the, the thing with the new one is it's pretty much exactly what you expect, which is to say that when it gets to the nightmarish stuff, when it's all about is she losing her mind, things like that. That's when Ben Wheatley shines, because right. why wouldn't he? That's when the kill list comes in. <laughs> that's, that's when the kill list comes in. You know, and it is that kind of psychotic, trippy, psychedelic, nightmarish imagery. Outside of that, though, there's not an awful lot new added to this. If you've never seen a version of Rebecca, you can see this and be blown away, I'm sure. But if you have seen, you know, the Hitchcock version, if you've read the book, you're going to see this and just think... It's kind of like the first time... I had this the first time I saw Captain America, which is, I know this story to death. And I feel like the only reason you've made it is because we need to get through this yeah. to get to the next one. I know there's no next one in this case. But um, having said that as well, I think Kristen Scott Thomas is a little bit more restrained than I would have thought. Mm -hmm. I think that Jane Goldman's script is a lot less acerbic. It's a lot less imaginative than I would have expected from her, given her body of work today. I mean, even looking at something like The Woman in Black, which she never gets the credit for. And I do think that Army Hammer as well is a bit kind of wasted in this. Like, the role does seem a bit underutilised. Again, if you were going to do something with it, give him more of a role rather than... I mean, he's certainly no Laurence Olivier. Let's let's put it that way. No one's ever calling Army Hammer Laurence Olivier. And the film, is, the film is, is what it is. It's a cover version, but it's a very, very well-made cover version. And if it's something that you're going to watch on Netflix for the first time, I think it's in absolutely the right place. I think if you're going to make a night at the theatre with this... Less so. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you foreseeably on the couch. Um, so we are sticking with our movies on TV and this next block of entertainment for you. And when I say entertainment, let's kick <laughs> off. Let's kick off your weekend with some entertainment. Film for 6 10 p.m. Perfect timing. For Independence Day. Oh yes, this is oh, yes. one of the films that I love. I have to quickly find out for my own side exactly what year Independence Day came out in. 1996. Would you like to know what exact day of the year it opened? Because it's kind of in the title. <laughs> Tell me. In the US, obviously, I think it was July 4th. I think in the UK we got it early August because they tied in, because it was distributed by 20th Century Fox, all the marketing was tied in with a then at the height of its fame X-Files so every time you bought the VHS releases of the X-Files the the first run of marketing for Independence Day was front and centre on all of it it was really huge um, who doesn't love Independence Day Bex? who doesn't love it and do you know what I, one of the things that always stands out for me for this film is you know when the White House gets blown up in this movie mm. yeah the way I remember watching 
something about behind the scenes and that how they created this mini model of the White House. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really blew it up. I this for me, there's so many great iconic things about this movie. You know, for anyone who doesn't know, where have you been? Are you a, at least a baby? Because that's the only reason why you have you been on Mars? Yeah, that's the question. On Mars. But basically, this is the story of her, how an alien race flies in over Earth. It basically destroys all the major cities of the world. Um, but then you have this band of merry men from a pilot, the president, and also a brilliant scientist who come together and try and... What? What? Let's, let's not call him a scientist. Let's call him what it is. He is a cable TV technical support repairman. Well, okay, fine. I'll <laughs> Credit where credit is due. <laughs> um, he's, he's the guy who made sure you were able to watch Dharma and Greg. That's who he was. Hey, that's essential viewing, okay, at that time. But anyway, they all come together to try and save mankind from essentially annihilation. This is a Roland Emmerich film. It is um, starring some of my favourite actors of the time, Bill Pullman, Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum. Um, you know, Vivica A. Fox is in this as well, which is brilliant. And... This is the movie that I think all of us that were teens at that time or early teens, this is the movie that we will watch again now and it just won't age. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. A rousing speech from like Samuel L. Jackson or anyone when you've got Bill Pullman talking about our Independence Day. It's amazing. That's the thing, isn't it? Because with this, uh, with this movie, we kind of solidified that moment in in the science fiction action genre, where you had to have the big rousing speech. And probably the most prominent example of an attempt to cash in on that in all these years was Idris Elba in Pacific Rim, yeah. where he effectively did the exact same speech. But th- today we are cancelling the apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, look, guys? You know we love this film. There's not much more we can say about it. The iconic poster in itself of that looming alien ship over i think it's the empire state building isn't it um on the poster the empire state building is one of them the empire state building the white house and downtown la i think are the three yeah. that we see it's it's amazing and for you guys if you just want to reminisce have a bit of a nostalgic throwback to an action like movie that just does such great things i'll, I'll be tuning into this on saturday because i can't go anywhere else <laughs> I'll give you two points on this before we move on to Sunday. Uh, the first point is, still, avoid the sequel at all costs. If you've never seen... If you love Independence Day, you've never seen Independence Day Resurgence, avoid it at all costs. It is one of the worst attempts at a sequel ever concocted by man. I don't think anyone can get into the press show for good reason. Yeah. Um, point two is, have you ever seen the alternative ending? 
to Independence Day. So this is weird because they do set it up. Even in the finished film, the setup for the alternative ending, the original ending, is still there, which is basically Randy Quaid's character's plane, his crop dusting plane. The original ending of the film involved him being sort of too drunk to fly, grounded, told, no, you can't go up there. And at the 11th hour, when they can't blow up the ship, Bill Pullman saying, hasn't anybody got any missiles left? And then Randy Quaid turns up in his crop dusting plane, to which he has strapped two missiles and he basically just flies into it and blows it up and that is his big redemption arc which you know the movie does set up but for some reason gives him a state-of-the-art fighter plane to do it instead because that somehow meant is meant to make sense but yeah well i'm surprised that a crop dusting plane could get that high but that's that's just a technical <laughs> thing right okay let's move on to sunday oh hello another great movie that i love <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure loads of people do. It is, of course, The Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman, and those jazz hands, Channel 4, 7pm. Oh, it's almost like they knew that lockdown was looming and they were like, we're just going to drop some really good things to keep you entertained throughout the weekend. Um, yeah, Channel 4, 7pm. Um, this is the film I remember going to the screening of this and walking out with all the major critics all kind of shaking their heads going, oh, not another one. Um, And actually... Wasn't it? I think it was you, me and Linda Merrick who were the only people who came out of that movie smiling. Yes. Yes, a certain Mr. Mr. K did not love so much. <laughs> he has he has done a, a 180 on it since. I think because it came out just before Christmas. I think over the Christmas break, he did see it with an audience and then say, OK, I, I may have gotten this wrong. There is something to it, which is fine. I wish he'd say the same thing about The Wolf of Wall Street, but hey. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, so look, Hugh Jackman, he plays um, the... P.T. Barnum. Yeah, exactly. Like the original circus showman, essentially. And mm. this is his story. And um, it's got a fantastic cast alongside it. Lots of great songs. Things that make... Songs that one in particular brings tears to my husband's eyes. Let's just say that. It does, it does me as well. But you know what? I tell you, just because the songs on this have been played to death, let's, for our clip, let's go a little bit off the beaten path musically. That was hilarious. I'm just knew all the words to that. I mean, I don't know what that says about him, but that definitely says about something about everyone who has grown to love this movie because outside of its initial theatrical release, it just became this behemoth. And it, it mm. it's one of those... Do you know what? I also remember this happened with Austin Powers. It's that kind of sleeper hit that theatrically you kind of don't catch. And then suddenly when it hits DVD or whatever, it just is phenomenal. 
and that's the power of the greatest showman. Absolutely. I mean, I will say, incidentally, yes, uh, your, your hubby Tom does have some killer moves there. That was that was one heck of a booty wiggle. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I can see I can see why you lock that down. Perfect. I can. Yeah. Um, so um, the greatest showman, though, I, one of my favourite musicals ever. I think it's tremendous. I will argue that yes, it does not thoroughly depict P.T. Barnum in anything close to a realistic light there's there's a lot of darkness hidden from this although strangely they did leave in the whole cheating on his wife thing mm-hmm. for some bizarre reason i think this is the role that hugh jackman was literally engineered in a lab to play yes 100%. This, the, the, the the mad scientist who concocted hugh jackman in that enormous cryopod thing and unleashed him into the world created him solely for the purpose of playing pt barnum in the great it's that movie that when you heard of its existence and the fact that hugh jackman was starring in it you just said Okay, yeah, that makes complete sense, totally, because he yeah. was doing that kind of already every time he was presenting the Tonys and things like that. That's who he was being anyway. If you've never seen it, check it out. You will see why it won an Oscar. It won an Oscar for Best Song, didn't it, for This Is Me? Yes, yes. I think Best Original Song for that. But I can't think... I think I think a lot of the cast and the crew went in thinking this is going to pick up a few more awards than it actually I think so, yeah. I think this was meant as an awards, a serious awards uh, Yeah, there were well. memes around the time of Hugh Jackman like reacting to other people picking up the awards around him, which was uh, quite amusing. But this is the People's Choice Award, you know. This is, the, yep. the, have won the audiences. You know, people are calling for a, a theatrical show of it, you know, a big musical on Broadway and stuff like that. So, you know, we'll have to wait maybe in 10 years' time once we get rid of coronavirus, that might happen. Well, I mean, I know that their name is kind of a dirty word this week for certain government funding reasons, but I do have to believe that when secret cinema are uh, up and running properly again, this is something that within the next five years, secret cinema will wind up doing as a big a big show. Yeah, do you know what? I saw Moulin Rouge at secret cinema, and mm. I've since since then seen other things that they've done and nothing has really stood up to how good Moulin Rouge was. So something like that is made for a musical and the next time I go back to Secret Cinema, it will only really be for a musical so you can really feel like you're in that immersive experience. And you'll apparently be going back with discounted tickets at this rate because we know they can spare the money. Anyway, let's move on to Monday. Sony Movies, 9pm. It is a movie that I think is absolutely terrific, although completely underrated. It is the forgotten David Fincher movie. It is 1997's Michael Douglas Sean Penn starring The Game, in which Michael Douglas is a sort of spoiled rich guy whose drug-addled younger brother appears for his birthday one year and presents him with a prepaid entrance into a game, a mysterious game, a game that will apparently change his life, a game that will lead him on a life-or-death adventure in which he's not sure what's real and what isn't. Consumer Recreation Services. Well, I do have golf clubs. Call that number. Why? They make your life fun. Fun. You know what that is? You've seen other people have It's an entertainment service. An escort service? A profound life experience. Sorry. Uh, No, it's all right. Just tell me your call. I said I would. No, you didn't. You still on medication? Why would you say that? The gentleman ready to order? I didn't mean it the way it sounded. I'm not on anything. I'm not even seeing a shrink. I feel great. See, I've not seen this film, but it's got three things that I like about it already. It's got Michael Douglas, it's got Sean Penn, and it's made in 1997. 
So. <laughs> Fair, fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be fair, it's the kind of thing we have seen variations on this in the years since, done as a thriller, do, do, doing this sort of chase to the death, is it real, is it not kind of a thriller. In the hands of David Fincher, though, you can vaguely imagine how this plays. I believe it's got a script by Andrew Kevin Walker as well, who, of course, we know wrote Seven, things like that. So it is very much of the, uh, the you know, the David Fincher canon, of that 90s canon that I think sort of built to its climax in 2001 with, uh, with Panic Room, I think, which yeah. is when Fincher sort of crossed over and went very really glossy all of a sudden. Um, the performances are all as brilliant as you think. It is quite thrilling. It is suspenseful. It doesn't quite go where you think it is. And also, I think it's something different for Sean Penn. It's, it's something... Uh, out of at that point, it was something different for Sean Penn. And he was a little bit out of the box for him. If you've never seen it, don't look it up. Don't watch a trailer. Just watch the movie. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I think it will really impress you. Fantastic. Look forward to that one. Right, coming up next, we are going to continue on your week with all the movies that are going to keep you on your couch. Welcome back to Off Screen, and well, you know what? We're going to be stuck on our sofas for uh, a good while longer yet, it seems, so we might as well have some movies to help pass the time. So, keeping you on that couch for Tuesday night, we're going to go over to the Horror Channel, 9pm, for one of my very favourite Peter Jackson movies. I think this might actually be my favourite Peter Jackson movie. It's 1996's The Frighteners, starring Michael J. Fox. Have you you seen this one, Max? I think I have. I definitely recognise the poster. Um, I think I will have seen this when I was way too young to watch it. That's that's what it's saying to me. I didn't know that this was a Peter Jackson film, though. Well, that's the thing. It's a lot of the same brain trust who will go on to give us the Lord of the Rings trilogy and and then, annoyingly, also the Hobbit trilogy. The less we say about, the better, of course. But uh, this is the story of Frank Bannister, played by Michael J. Fox, who was an architect until his wife's ominous death, for which his small town seems to think he was responsible. He has, however, since parlayed his talents into becoming a paranormal investigator. At least that's how he presents the world. He shows up at your house and exercises the ghosts that are haunting your home. However, there's slightly more to that. He's actually a bit more of a con artist. He has three ghosts who won't leave him alone, who hang out in his house, and basically he puts them up to going into people's houses, ruining their lives so he can show up, put on a show, and pretend to remove them. However... A new threat presents itself in the town in which people start to die mysteriously with numbers carved into their foreheads with a a carpet knife um, and the image of Jake Busey, for some reason, ever-present throughout. Uh, Frank Bannister quickly comes to realise that someone from the town's past has returned, and more more than that, he himself is being blamed for it. Into this mix also comes one of his clients, one of his most recent clients' husbands, who has also died at his hand and who turns to Frank for ghostly help. I need some vitamin B. Yeah, you can't take vitamins anymore. You don't eat, you don't drink, you don't go to the bathroom. All that In about a year's time, you're gonna get a chance to go through to the other side again to become what's known as a pure spirit. But in the meantime, what's known as an earthbound emanation, which is a rotting cloud of bioplasmic particles dripping ectoplasm from every orifice. <laughs> Relax. Can you at least give me a ride so I don't miss my funeral? I have seen this. Um, uh-huh. Because I recognise the name Frank Bannister. 
as the as Michael J. Fox's character. And I was like, I've definitely seen something like that before. And also, Trini Alvarado's in this, who yes, my, my favorite um, iteration of Little Women, which is the Winona Ryder one, where she plays Meg. Um, she's also in this as well. I have seen this, and when you mentioned about the three ghosts, that's when it all came flooding back. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's a perfect '90s movie. That's the thing about this, isn't it? It's- most of our most of our movies are, if we're honest. Yeah. Okay. Some some might say we're biased, but you know, <laughs> ectoplasm and stuff. You might be mistaken for thinking that this is the Ghostbusters, but it's not. It is. It's a great, great movie. Um, I want to revisit this because I can't remember the majority of it, but I remember really enjoying it. It's a great movie. It is a movie where if anyone who anyone who has seen the Frighteners tends to love. The Frighteners. Those who haven't, who get shown it, also seem to love The Frighteners. It is a horror comedy to perfection in that the horror is genuinely scary and the comedy is really funny. And you've got ghosts who include people like Chi McBride, R. Lee Ermey plays a ghost drill sergeant because what other kind of ghost could R. Lee Ermey possibly play? Um, It's a really fun movie, but it's also quite terrifying. So where there's some imagery in this that will shock you to your absolute core, but at the same time, it will follow it with a good laugh afterwards. And that was Peter, uh, Peter Jackson's absolute shtick you know, throughout the 90s until Lord of the Rings sort of catapulted him to the next level. His shtick was, he was into exploitation, horror, and comedy. So if you've not seen The Frighteners, 9pm, Tuesday night on the Horror Channel, absolutely check it out. Yeah, can't wait. Okay, moving on to Wednesday. Um, I actually, I've heard so much about this film. I've not seen it, though. Um, it is Belle, starring Gugu and Bartha Roy. It's, the, um, it's her debut, in fact, isn't it? From uh, t- 2013, when she came out, where she plays... The- it's that long ago. Yeah, I know. Um, she plays the illegitimate daughter of a Navy admiral, and she's basically trained up and by her aristocratic uncle and wife and grows up to abolish slavery in England. James Ashford is not kind. He is not appropriate. Appropriate? The brother of the man you are to marry is not appropriate for me. He does not desire you, Bet. Or at least, even if he does, you would regret such a mistake. He... he... laid his hands on me, Bet. In the most ungentlemanly fashion. Why should you say such a thing? He hurt me. You are a liar. Why would I lie to I you? I don't know. But do you not see? Have you never been able to see? He would never touch you. Bet. You are beneath him. That's Sarah Gaddon, incidentally, starring opposite Gugu and Barta Raw there. And I believe the gentleman in question who she is accusing of such horrible atrocities is played by none other than Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy from the Harry Potter series. So, of course, I think we can naturally believe him capable of, because I don't think he's ever starred in a film role where he wasn't a nasty piece of work, if we're being really honest. This is, like, you know, quite groundbreaking with um, with what, what it was sort of telling in terms of the story. It was, you know, if you think about the costume dramas, they're predominantly white, you know? And mm. this is a story of, uh, you know, a girl who is pushing forward the whole kind of agenda of, of abolishing slavery in this. It's a very, But yet, from what I can see, it's a very tender performance from Google and Bartha Raw, and that's 
what launched her and catapulted her into the star that she is today. Well, that's it. I mean, I knew uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, I think, from two or three years previously. She'd started a very short-lived J.J. Uh, Abrams spy series uh, in which was sort of a Mr. and Mrs. Smith type thing. She started with an actor called Boris Kojo, um, which I, I remember thinking was was quite fun at the time. But uh, I seeing her, then she sort of vanished and turned up in this three years later. It, basically, it, within the context of the film, I mean, she's a mixed-race Brit at a time when to be a mixed race Brit was you know to be less than nothing yeah. effectively and it's it's played in 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 such a perfect way I mean it, it absolutely pulls the right chords it will anger you and it will move you in equal measure and a lot of that weight is heaped almost entirely upon Guga Bartarul's shoulders very capable shoulders I might add but uh, check it out if you've not seen it absolutely check this out I would double this up with if you've never seen a United Kingdom with David Oyelowo and Rosamund Pike. You might remember that. I think we watched that together about two years ago. Yeah, very good film. Yeah, definitely worth it. If you're fancying a double bill, that is that those two will probably float your boat properly. So that is Wednesday, film four, 9pm. Um, Thursday, oh yes, seeing us into the end of the week. Um, it is getting close to that spooky time of the year. And that means we have to dig out of the archives one of our favourite teen movies of the 90s on Five Star, 10pm. Thursday is, of course the craft. Be careful for those weirdos out there. We are those weirdos. That's all you need to know. Sarah. Looking for someone? No. Um, some of these football make their girlfriends come and watch them practice as if it's interesting. Yeah, like a girlfriend over there. Chris Hooker. I don't even know him. Nancy's sorry about what happened in biology. And she's mean to everybody, so don't take it personally. You're Nancy. Ah. She's Nancy, I'm Bonnie, and that's Rochelle. Hi, I'm Sarah. Yeah, we know who you are. Do you want to go for coffee? No, I can't. I got to get home. My dad's waiting for me. <laughs> you can make something up. Feruza Bork. Remember when Feruza Bork was in films? Those were the days. So it's Feruza Bork, uh, Robin Tunney, Rachel True, and Nerve Campbell, I believe, are the four would-be teen Wiccans. Uh, this is, of course, the most perfectly timed of films because it wound up either tying into or launching, depending on how you see it, an entire wave of paranormally-style supernatural teen horror things. Most notably, I believe, the craft actually did form the basis for TV's Charmed. Aaron Spelling would try and cash in on it, even down to using the song that is playing in that clip as its theme song. Um, was it How Soon Is Now by The Smiths in that clip, and I think by Love Spit Love in Charmed. Um, this, of course, is airing on Thursday night this next week, uh, which I think is the 22nd, because that's also to tie in with, I think it's just under a week before the release of the remake slash reboot call The Craft Legacy, which uh, stars David Duchovny, which is of particular note to me, because this is how I discovered that David Duchovny, Mulder, is now 60 years old old no. my god time has flown oh my goodness but um look this is this film the original film i am nervous about this new reboot of it because i still think that this whole, the original craft still holds up today it does. Um, yeah. but uh, for me i remember going to see this and probably wearing black and like you know like, <laughs> like tight or something like that for a good six months after watching this film and thinking that i might go and pop into my local occult shop and see if i can join them were, were you a fishnets team bex is that what you're telling me well, yeah, I don't know. I was definitely kind of like... Black nail polish. 
Oh yeah, definitely nail polish. Maybe a little bit of black lipstick as well on the odd weekend. But um, regardless, this really moved me as a movie. I think it really spoke to us teens at the time. Um, you know, Feruza Bulk, I have loved her since, you know, Return to Oz. She's just so brilliant in that. And yeah, you're right. Where is she now? Maybe, I think, is she not making a little cameo? In the new one, I know. I know there's a photo of her in the trailer for the new one that's displayed quite prominently. It's because it seems to be a, a legacy sequel, hence the clever title. Yeah. Um, other thing that I, I do remember from this movie, and I'm not sure if it, it's dated it or not, is Skeet Ulrich, who oh, yeah. is still around, isn't he? He is. He's in Riverdale at the moment. Um, ah. but, but you know what? It's like it's it's funny, isn't it? It, it is. It's those teen heartthrobs and girls next door and, and people that you absolutely loved of the 90s who you know, now is really ageing us and making us feel really old. But, you know, this was the film that I thought was going to launch Robin Tunney into, like, proper A-list sort of mm. spotlight, but it didn't quite work for her. She's still solidly working, but it's um, just not in the exposure that I think originally we were expecting. Anyway, guys, just get into the Halloween spirit. Thursday night, The Craft, 5 star, 10pm. Go and revisit your Wiccan youth and go and watch this movie because it is brilliant. Uh, speaking of brilliant... Friday. Yes, yeah, so a Friday. Channel 4, 11.30pm. This is a bit of a late one, uh, but you know, it's not like we can go to the pub, and even if we could, we'd have to be out by 10 anyway, so <laughs> this should probably start for a nicely convenient moment when you walk through the front door. Uh, it is, of course, 2014's Get On Up, starring the late, great Chadwick Boseman. I'm really so saddened that we have to now, we, we now have to find ourselves in a situation where we can prefix his name with the late great, uh, in which he played, this is one of his string of biopics. In this one, he played James Brown, and he played him to absolute perfection. So it's the story of James Brown. It stars Chadwick Boseman. Wouldn't you know it? He's terrific in it. Woman, I called you yesterday. You went home. I was home all day. You were home all day. Why didn't you pick up? I, I don't. I don't know. What, what time did you call? Called you at one. I called you again a quarter after. Called you again at two, and then I called you at three. Well, you must have wanted to talk to me pretty bad. Where were you? In the bathtub. For two hours? You want me to take shorter baths? We don't have a phone in the bathroom, James. Well, damn, what you gonna do? You gonna find me? I love a biopic, and I love it even more when it is done really really well and you can just hear from that clip he is james brown in the really is um yeah this is one that i think it's a shame it's on so late on friday night but one to definitely press the record button and watch at your leisure it's going to be well worth your time I absolutely agree. I mean, for me, uh, the movie, I'll just be real quick, um, the movie absolutely sold itself to me within about the first 10 seconds when he's flying over Vietnam in a helicopter. They're firing artillery shells in the air and he screams out the line, they're trying to kill James Brown. They're trying to kill a funk. I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. You got me, you got me. You, you knew just how to pitch me with this. That's how you open a movie. I'm sold. Take it away, Chad. Take it away. And happy to say, love the hell out of it. One of my uh, one of my favourites of Chadwick Boseman's films, actually. I think pretty much this and Black Panther, I think, are probably his two best films for, for my money. Uh, I do quite like Marshall as well. But, uh, yeah, so uh, Channel 4, 11, 11.30, sorry, on Friday night. As you would say, what a way to round off the week. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. We've taken you to the movies. We've taken you to your couch for movies on TV. And now we're taking you digital as well and taking you to the world of streaming with our next selection of top films to watch. So, Van, kick us off. What have we got? So on Amazon Prime next Wednesday, which is the 21st of October, uh, first of all, I haven't seen this movie. I don't think you have either. I don't think either of us have seen the movie that came before it. And the reason for that is very specifically because they did not show it to the press. (laughs) So I I do know that the first movie kind of has a fan base. Um, This one, less so, although I'm I'm intrigued to check it out. It is, of course, Bronze The Boy 2. Now, The Boy was a, a horror movie starring Lauren Cohen from The Walking Dead a few years years ago. I think she was like a nanny, looks after a young boy who has like a doll that they treat as if it's a real person. And Oh no, sorry, the, the boy is, is meant to be like a stand for a dead kid, I think in the first one. And then creepy things ensue. The sequel kind of does the same thing with Katie Holmes. Now, given that I haven't seen Katie Holmes in a movie for, ooh, years, I'm intrigued because can, can she still act? I don't know. I don't know. Can she still act? Um, is she still Joey Potter from Dawson's Creek? You know, that is the question, just in different scenarios. Look, I think there's a reason why she hasn't been on, on, on our screens for a while. She's run her course, but that's why she's starring in essentially a movie that we won't have seen, won't be press screened. And I suppose if you're at a loss, maybe that's what you want to catch up on on Amazon Prime while you're flicking through. What more is there to say on this? It does kind of look like it. It does kind of look like a schlocky, fun, you know, evil child 90-minute horror movie. What's not to kind of like from that? I mean, you either know or not in advance whether or not you're really going to get much out of this, I think. If that's what you want to watch, go and watch Child's Play. <laughs> what was the one we watched a couple of years ago that we laughed our asses off? Do you remember the one with the chick from uh, Orange is the New Black? I can't think. Off the top of my that was that was the one where like some dead serial killer or whatever had had his soul had gone into the child's body at the point of birth, and they actually brought this up as if it was actual science. And the explanation was, oh, that makes perfect sense. And you and I fell into hysterics in the screening room. Yes. Oh, no, the prodigy or something like that. Yes, the prodigy. Was it the prodigy? Yes, yes. And it was just so awful. And it was like, they don't make them like this anymore, do they? Thank God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, look, Brahms the Boy 2 is on Amazon Prime from Wednesday, 21st of October. If you want to catch it, fancy a little bit of a scare. We're in the lead up to Halloween. It's exactly what you need. Now, moving on, we're going to go back to Netflix. We obviously have talked about this earlier in, in the show, but we're going to just revisit very quickly because it is available on Netflix from Wednesday next week. It's Rebecca, the Lily James, Army Hammer, Kristen Scott Thomas adaptation by Ben Wheatley or reimagining by Ben Wheatley of the Alfred Hitchcock classic. She wouldn't have a lady's maid, you know. I don't want anyone but you, Danny. Do you see how tall she was? Hmm. She could wear anything with a figure like hers. Mrs. Danvers. Does Mr. De Winter ask you to keep the room like this? It doesn't have to. She's still here. Hmm. You feel her. I wonder what she's thinking about you. Taking her husband and using her name. Should she just want him to be happy? Happy? No, he'll never be happy. She was the love of his life. Kind of sounds like the mother-in-law from hell, doesn't she? 
you know what? I quite like a restrained Kristen Scott Thomas. I think she's creepy. Yeah, that's that's creepy. I'm looking forward to it. Now, this is the thing. This is going to be on Netflix uh, proper from Wednesday the 21st. So if you're not able to catch the limited theatrical run from uh, from today, from the 16th, you, you only have to wait like five days to, to be able to watch it at home. I think, to be honest, I think most people are going to watch it at home, as I said. But um, it's worth a look. It is a cover. It is a cover version. But like I say, a good cover version. I'll give it that. Now, let's move on to... Because we, we, we desperately aching to talk about this again, I think, oh. since Oscar night this year. Uh, and it's finally reaching Amazon Prime next Friday, the 23rd of October. So many people have uh, asked me, have you got a DVD of this I can borrow? And I'm like, no, no, I don't, actually. I've, I've got an awards screener, but we're not really supposed to loan those out. He says, having left one or two of them in a supermarket at one point. But, uh, yeah, that totally happened. I will not tell you which, because they'd hunt me down and shoot me. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> is of course, Bong Joon-ho's best picture-winning, record-setting, Parasites. Amazon Prime, Friday the 23rd, Bex, Parasite. Oh, my goodness. If ever a movie could have more twists and turns and layers to it, there's nothing that beats this. This is this is the worthy winner of the Oscars. This is the time in which when you watch the Oscars and Van and I were together for the entire ceremony for this, you knew finally they got it right. The right person won all the awards. And this is just an absolute masterclass in filmmaking from making your jaw drop to see where the narrative's gonna take you through to the beautiful cinematography, the amazing performances. Best picture doesn't come much better than this. No, it really doesn't. This is the movie that for me, well, for one thing, it proved me right finally after seven years. I'll never stop saying that, which is Bong Joon-ho might be worth paying attention to. Thank you, Snowpiercer. Um, but Parasite, I think, is arguably an even better movie than Snowpiercer. I still prefer Snowpiercer because I have a soft, affectionate spot for Snowpiercer. But Parasite, arguably a better film. It is an absolute masterpiece. I've not seen it in black and white. I'm very interested to see which version is going to turn up on Amazon Prime or if they're maybe going to include both. I don't know. I think they'll, they might give you an option if you want it in colour, if you want it in black and white. But uh, it's a wonderful film that you absolutely have to see. And it's it's a film that I think transcends the language barrier so completely that it almost feels like kind of a cheat that this became the first, you know, non-English language best picture winner because that, that language barrier is so insignificant in contrast to the story it is telling, I think. You're 100% right. I had people coming to me after... Um you know, come out and gone, oh, I just don't know because it's a subtitled film. And and I was like, Mm. honestly, you get so lost in this film. The subtitles just don't even affect you in this. And again, I I actually think they're going to bring the color version to um, Amazon Prime. It's it's, it's definitely And, you know, if you are a Prime member and you have this, you have this on tap, it will be a disservice to the film industry if you do not take advantage of watching this on Friday. It is, as I said before, an absolute masterclass from an absolute master at his art and well, well deserved Bong Joon-ho and amazing to see. And it still gets me quite emotional thinking about that Oscars night, just when you finally know that they finally, after so many years of getting it wrong, they finally got it right. I mean, I often get emotional when thinking about Oscar now, but that's only because I'm usually remembering the migraines I get for dot 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 reasons. Anyway, so um, that that wraps it up for another week for us then. So uh, tune in next week when a certain Kazakhstani journalist will be returning to our screens. 
I mean, I'll let you guess who that is. And we'll be uh, we'll be revisiting a certain... Uh, well, it's an old story, but I think most people our age remember it for a certain 1990s adaptation that has become a staple of so many childhoods. But uh, in the meanwhile, that's all from us. This has been Offscreen. I've been Van Connor. And I've been Bex Perfect. And we shall return. <laughs>